If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Matthew 13, or if you're on your phone, pull up Matthew 13. We're looking at verses 24 to 30, and then verses 34 to 43, where Jesus interprets the parable, which is in verses 24 to 30. As I was thinking about this parable series, I was asking myself, why is there so much trouble in the world? Something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Why are there so many bad people in the world doing bad things? Just live for one week in the year 2020 or 2021, and you can't help but ask that question at some point as you listen to the news, etc., In fact, it seems to me that that's what politics has become in recent years. One party trying to protect us from the bad people in the other party, as they see it, who want to do bad things in our country. Isn't that the state of a lot of the political discourse lately? The other party are bad people, and if we let them get their way, they'll ruin our country. And the maddening part about it is that they're saying the same thing about us. How dare they? Well, these aren't new questions, and they aren't new problems. Because regardless of anyone's politics, there have always been bad people in the world. There has always been trouble in the world. And we who follow Jesus Christ have always believed that we have good news to speak into that trouble that we know a savior who has the solution for that trouble. And that's why I thought it would be a good idea this month to to look at some of the parables of Jesus. We're going to take five weeks to go through the collection of parables recorded in in Matthew 13. Paul DeVries looked at the first one with us last Sunday. And these are the parables that Jesus told, some of them anyway, about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And they tell us something about how that kingdom comes. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, when he began his public ministry, he began it by announcing that the time had come for the kingdom of God to begin arriving. So what in the world is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Well, have you ever said something like this? If I was in charge of the world, dot, 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 fill in the blank. (laughs) Well, if I was in charge of the world, that would be the kingdom of Dick. We would do things the way I think they should be done. And the kingdom of God, then, is simply how God would do things if God was in charge of the world. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, right? God's will is already done. God is in charge in heaven. God is sovereign, but planet earth is in rebellion to some extent against God. And so the kingdom of God comes to earth when what is true in heaven begins to come to earth. And when God's Um, will begins to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus shows us what happens when the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven comes. Jesus shows us what happens when God gets to be in charge on earth and God's will gets done on earth. 
because this is what Jesus came to do and to bring. And so we see in the life and ministry of Jesus that when God's will is done on earth and God's kingdom comes to earth, the sick get healed. Those in bondage to dark spirits get set free. Those who have wandered away from God get found and invited back if they're willing. Those covered in shame and uncleanness get cleansed and purified and accepted. Those who are excluded get loved and welcomed back, welcomed in. Those who have messed up get forgiven and get new beginnings. Destructive storms get stilled. Hungry bellies get filled. Heaven comes to earth. God finally gets to be in charge of the world and gets to do things his way. That's what we all really want, right? We want the troubles to get fixed. We want the bad people to stop being allowed to do bad things. And Jesus says, that's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and I've come to bring it. And that's good news, right? That's why we call it the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. But here's the question. How does Jesus bring it? How does the kingdom of God come? How does God come to be in charge of the world again? How will the revolution that Jesus came to begin to bring the kingdom, how will it unfold along the way? Well, that's what Jesus' parables in Matthew 13 are there to tell us. Because here's a spoiler alert for us. It does not come the way we would think it would come or expect it to come. If you've been hanging around with Jesus for a while, hopefully at this point, that doesn't surprise you that Jesus would not do things the way we would expect. So how does the kingdom come? How does God's will get done on earth as in, in heaven? Well, Jesus gives several parables, several word pictures to describe it. Last Sunday, we looked at the, the parable of the four soils in verses 1 to 23. And today we're going to look at the second parable, a parable which is kind of notorious for being difficult, at least for modern sensibilities. But we're going to hang with it. And um, immediately as we look at both of these parables, the one from last week and this week, we notice something striking and that is Jesus's basic metaphor for how the kingdom comes. And it's planting seeds, planting seeds. Some of us will be doing this in the next month or so. I've planted some peas in the garden already. I'm being optimistic about the weather. And um, planting is, is an unassuming kind of task, gentle even. We go into the backyard and assuming the soil is prepared, we simply drop some small seeds into the soil. We cover them with a little bit of dirt. Maybe we gently pat the dirt down. And, and that's it. That's all. Sowing seeds. That's the basic analogy Jesus chooses to tell us how the kingdom of God comes. That should be enough already to get our attention, to stop us short, to surprise us, and to disturb us. Because if God was coming finally to exert his will on earth, to take care of the trouble, to take care of the bad people and the bad things, 
I would have expected something a lot bigger and a lot more dramatic and powerful. Don't all of our politicians envision something bigger than sowing seeds? Doesn't Jesus know how much trouble is in the world? Doesn't he know how bad the bad people can be and how much damage they are doing to our world and to the people in it, especially the weak and the vulnerable? Doesn't Jesus watch the news or follow Twitter or Facebook? And yet he's talking about sowing some seeds. I I would have expected a different metaphor, maybe something like this. The kingdom of God is like a king having amassed troops for an invasion. Or the kingdom of God is like a pent-up flood now unleashed. Or even the kingdom of God is like the spring thaw coming after winter. Something bigger, something more powerful than planting some little seeds in the ground. What can seeds do to change the world? What does Jesus mean by this? What are the implications for all the trouble in the world and what we can expect God to do about it? Well, in today's parable, Jesus takes this basic seed planting metaphor that he uses in several of of the parables in Matthew, both that we've looked at and that we will look at. And Jesus uses this metaphor to tell a story. And let's listen again to Jesus tell this story. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. These weeds, by the way, aren't just any weeds. The the Greek word here is very specific. Uh, Sometimes it's translated tares. Sometimes more specifically, it's called darnel. And back in Jesus' time, this specific plant, this darnel, it's, it's a member of the rye family, was infamous for having two properties. First, it's poisonous to eat. You can't harvest the darnel grains along with the wheat grains because if the grains get together, the whole thing is now poisonous. And second, darnel looks just like wheat when the plants are young before the heads of grain mature. You can't very easily tell them apart. And so darnel, back in the day of Jesus, was feared And it was hated. And it was actually a known method of sabotage and revenge to go and sow darnel in the wheat field of someone you hated and wanted to pay back. So much so that there were actually laws against doing this in the Roman law codes, laws against darnel. And so Jesus continues with this bad news being discovered. When the wheat sprouted, and formed heads, then the darnel also became evident. The owner's servants came to him with the terrible news and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the darnel come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And at this point, this guy has got a huge, heavy weight forming in the pit of his stomach. 
He is probably super mad. His crop has been ruined. His investment, his, his life's work for that year. The money he's put up for the seeds. Do you know how hard of work it is, how much work it will be, how much money it will cost to painstakingly go through this huge wheat field and pull out the darnel stock by stock in order to save the wheat? This is a huge, devastating catastrophe, and someone has done it purposefully to him. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull the darnel up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the darnel, you might uproot the wheat with them. The landowner is an is a experienced farmer. Evidently, the servants are not. And, and he knows that to have his servants tramping through his wheat field in the middle of the growing season will ruin the wheat. And by this point, the darnel's roots are all intertwined with the wheat anyway. So if they start pulling it up, it's going to totally ruin his crop. But he comes up with a plan. Let both grow until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the darnel, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barns. Again, rather than this coming year's harvest being a time of joy and plenty like harvests were supposed to be, this one is going to be a huge annoying, expensive, painstaking salvage operation. All because of this hateful act of sabotage done by an enemy. And that, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of God is like. Got it? All clear now? You get Jesus' point? <laughs> or would you like some interpretation? <laughs> Well, notice Matthew tells us down in verses 34 to 35, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Why parables? Well, Jesus told his followers back up in verses 11 to 12. We looked at this last week. Because... It's because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, to the disciples, but not to them, not to the crowd. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. It's not that Jesus doesn't want people to understand. It's just that this is not casual information. Jesus is happy for you to know it, but only if you're willing to commit to him, to follow him, and to do something about what he tells you. That's what a disciple is, and anyone willing was welcome to come and be a disciple. For Jesus, you had to give him more of yourself, and then he would give you more of himself and more insight into his plans for the world. In other words, there's only so much you can know about Jesus, about God, about the kingdom of God and the ways of God on a purely intellectual level. There's a point at which you've got to jump in. You've got to take a risk. You've got to respond to God and do something with what you do know 
And that's the only way to know more. This is experiential learning. And many of the best things in life can only be learned that way. And Jesus knew it. Kind of like when I started to date my wife, Anne. There's only so much of her heart that she was going to share and let me in on when I was standing at a distance uncommitted. If I wanted to know her more, I needed to come closer and commit to the relationship. And then I could get to know more of her. You see, getting to know God and and Jesus isn't just a detached intellectual thing. It's a relationship thing. And so Jesus says, come, follow me, get close to me, and I'll tell you more. I'll let you know more. I'll let you discover more. And that's what Jesus does for his followers down in verses 36 to 43. His disciples, those who had chosen to come closer and uh, jump in and follow him, they come to his pri- him privately and they say, explain this parable to us. And then so Jesus gives them the answer key to interpret it. He says, the landowner who sowed the good seed in his wheat field is me, Jesus says, the son of man. That's what he liked to call himself. My field is the world. The good seed is the people of the kingdom, the people like you and me that are you're following me and we're seeking and pursuing this kingdom together. The darnel is the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are the angels. So as we step back now with the answer key, the interpretive key, and we look at this parable, let's remember our questions. Why are there bad people in the world? Why is there so much trouble in the world? And what is God doing about it? How is God bringing his kingdom so that his will gets done on earth as it is in heaven? And what are we as followers to to do about this and to make of this? What can we expect God's kingdom to look like as God's will is done on earth? How will this pan out and unfold? Well, let's notice three ways that this parable answers these questions. Three insights it gives us into how the kingdom of God comes, how God gets his way in the world so that things can work in the world the way God wants them to work. Notice first how the kingdom comes, the method that Jesus uses to bring it. Then second, let's notice when it comes, the timing of God's kingdom. And then third, we're going to notice the outcome, how it will all wind up in the end. So first, the method. Notice what Jesus' method is to bring God's kingdom. Notice how he goes about dealing with the trouble in the world and addressing the problem people in the world. For starters, Jesus sows good seed. He sows people of the kingdom. These are his disciples, his followers. And in the previous parable that that Paul DeVries looked at with us last Sunday, Jesus told us how this works. Jesus sows his words, right? That's what the seed represents. And those who listen, those who are good soil, those who receive his words, who believe them, who follow them, are like seed finding good soil. 
So Jesus plants people of his kingdom in this world, people who seek his kingdom first and live the ways of the kingdom. He plants them by sowing his word, by offering his word. He does it by announcing that that the kingdom of God has arrived, by teaching what this looks like and how to live in it, by warning everyone to turn from this present world, which is destined for destruction, and by inviting them to follow him and his way and to begin living in a new way, to begin living the life of the kingdom of God. And just go back, read the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see how that works. And those who follow Jesus, he says, are people of the kingdom. They're walking and living the way of Jesus. They're being led by Jesus. They're listening to his voice and responding. They're putting their trust in Jesus. He says, people like that are like good seed growing in a field. That's Jesus's method. Notice what this method is not. It is not violent. It does not involve coercion or armies or out shouting people on social media, or canceling people you disagree with. Jesus simply sows good seed and watches to see if it will take root. That's his method. That's how the kingdom comes. Unfortunately, however, Jesus is not the only one sowing. The devil is also sowing. The evil one, he says, comes in darkness in order to sabotage what Jesus is doing. The devil sows darnel, people who on the surface and for a while can be hard to distinguish from the people of the kingdom, but in the end, they turn out to be problematic. I'm calling them problem people. Not the way we usually use that idiom, but the way Jesus is using it here. Often it's only once they've been growing for a while, long enough to see or what the fruit of their lives is that you can tell them apart from the wheat. So not only is Jesus sowing seed, the devil is also sowing, sowing ideas, sowing messages. And people are taking those in, they're following them, and they're becoming a certain kind of person as a result. And those people are growing side by side in the world with Jesus's people. That's why there's trouble in the world. That's why there are problem people. But notice that they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. They're merely deceived by the enemy and by the false messages that he's sowing. Well, of course, the question is, what should we do about it? Ah, the world is full of trouble. There are bad people mixed in with the people of the kingdom. And so we, like the servants in the parable, maybe we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, there's trouble in the world. There are problematic people in this world along with us. What should we do? Should we pull them out? That'll fix it, right? (laughs) Jesus, give us the power. Just say the word and we'll weed out the bad people and leave only the good ones. Well, this is what the servants in the parable suggest to the landowner, and it's such a typical religious response, a self-righteous response. But in the landowner's reply, we see the second thing Jesus wants us to know about the kingdom, and it has to do with timing, the timing of how God's kingdom comes. Jesus tells his servants to wait. 
to wait. Be patient. In fact, the servants aren't going to do it at all. They're not going to handle this problem. Don't pull anyone out, Jesus says. Let them all grow. The darnel among the wheat. Why? Well, for one thing, a lot of us can't really tell darnel from wheat very well. First of all, maybe what we are. And second of all, what anyone else is. And second, if you pull out the darnel now, you'll damage the good, the wheat in the process. Isn't that the truth? I mean, imagine right now if every injustice was addressed, if every misdeed was punished, if every wrong was righted. There's this classic scene in the the second Captain America movie, Winter Soldier, that I picture here. Hydra, the bad guys, get control of these huge high-tech flying helicarrier gunships that have tons and tons of guns on them. And and these gunships are hovering over Washington, D.C. If you've seen the movie, you remember the scene. And and they're using advanced ID tracking and targeting software to train each of the guns on one of Hydra's enemies, and they're going to take them all out at once. Thousands and thousands of people, just like that, unsuspecting, gone. And just imagine if God used a scenario like that to just weed out of the world every problem person. The result would be like one of those old movies about the Christians getting raptured, if you've seen Left Behind or any of those old 70s movies. Because suddenly all at once, all those who are, because this in in, in those movies, it's in reverse, right? All those who um, are followers of Jesus disappear. But but in this case, it's all those who are not followers of Jesus who disappear. And, And what happens in the movies? Well, airplanes fall out of the sky because the pilots disappeared. And uh, hospitals lose doctors and nurses, and families lose parents and breadwinners, and parents lose children they love, and businesses lose employees. Think of the effects on the economy. It would be utter chaos. And so God wisely says, no, that's a really bad idea. That's way too disruptive. Disruptive for my people. Let them all grow together for now in my field. I know I don't like the darnel growing amidst the wheat either. It's a terrible act of sabotage done by the enemy. It makes everyone's life a whole lot harder. But what's done is done. Let it be for now. To clean it up now would be even worse. And so Jesus says to his followers, wait, be patient, live with it for now. Live with the people who, in your opinion, are part of the problem and not part of the solution. They're here to stay. That's the way it's going to be. But then third, Jesus adds, don't worry, I have a plan. Be assured that a day is coming when it will be harvest time, when the weed is fully grown and it's time for harvest. And then I will instruct my angels, not you, my angels, to go through and to pull out what's really darnel, and to toss the darnel into the fire where it will be destroyed. Listen to how Jesus puts it. As the darnel are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing fire, the blazing furnace. And there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Boy, as gentle and caring as Jesus was, he wasn't afraid to talk about fiery judgment, was he? Why? Well, because Jesus was no Pollyanna. He he didn't have a naive, rose-colored view of the world. He knew very well how bad the world could be. And if you read the history books or even read the news today, we're reminded of that. Jesus knew how bad that people could be. And he cared. He cared about injustice. He cared about suffering and victimization. He cared about his, his world getting ruined. And so he longs for people to respond to the good word that he's sowing and to join God's good kingdom. But for those who refuse and whose lives are shaped instead by the poisonous ideas of the enemy, Jesus knew that at the end, there would have to be a separation. And that if trouble and evil are going to be weeded out of the world in the end, they're going to have to be destroyed. And the image Jesus uses for that destruction is a blazing furnace. Because in the parable, what else is Darnell good for than maybe to provide some fuel? You can't compost it. You can't use it for mulch. It's full of poisonous seeds. You can only burn it up. And I realize this picture is not popular these days, and it raises the question, is it that black and white? Are people really either one thing or the other? Are they really either wheat or darnel? Can't darnel in the parable change and become wheat? Is it also fixed and definite? And the answer is that that this is the danger of taking one parable all by itself and ignoring all the others. As if Jesus could tell us everything we need to know in one parable about the complex realities of good and evil and God and God's purposes in the world. And so the reality is, if we look at the other parables, and if we let them inform one another, it's clear that Jesus has every desire for people to change. That Jesus invites people to repent, to change, to turn away from their old life, and to get on board with his kingdom. To let Jesus plant his word in them, to go back to last week's analogy now so that whatever they were before, they can start growing like good wheat. And that's our purpose as followers of Jesus, right? First, to to follow him, to learn from him, to trust him, to let him lead us, and then to invite others to do the same, to invite others to become followers, to make disciples, as Jesus put it, to tell others the good news, that Jesus will forgive them and accept them, And then to teach them the way of Jesus, even as we're trying to learn the way of Jesus, so that Jesus sows good word in their hearts and in our hearts. Or sows good seed, good word, same thing. Because that, Jesus says, is is how his kingdom comes. And so we're invited to participate in, in being part of a growing community that has the texture and the flavor of God's kingdom. As his parable, as his kingdom comes among us, And as we incarnate it in the midst of the world 
By doing God's will, by following the teaching of Jesus, we offer the world a taste of what it looks like when more of heaven comes to earth and God has his heart's desire for how this world should be. And Jesus tells through this parable in the meantime, tells us, don't worry about the problem people. Let them grow, wait, be patient, let them be, leave them. Don't fret about all the trouble in the world. Just focus on your task, on being fruitful like you're supposed to be, and let me take care of the rest. I have a plan, and in time, I will take care of it. And there is stark judgment at the end, right? That we don't want to diminish at all the seriousness of that parable. And in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the uh, parable of the net cast into the sea, where Jesus, again, reinforces this point. And that's God's business, but we know what our business is in the meantime. So as the key biblical truth is for today's passage, Jesus has a plan. So as far as we are concerned, we need to be patient with the problem people. Let us pray. God, this parable, um, when we we really let it sink in, is a wake-up call to us, a testing of, of our hearts. And um, a very different spin on the world we live in than the one we're seeing in the news and the tactics that are being used by those around us. I pray that you would give us more of your vision for how the world is, so more of your word in our heart, and move us and motivate us to be more faithful to Jesus so that we can incarnate in this world, the good news that your kingdom is coming and that everyone is invited to become a part of the healing and the redemption, the forgiveness and the love that you came to bring so that people don't have to face your fiery judgment, which is coming at the end. Amen.